So tonight, we're starting with a story. Look at that adorable child. She's my oldest. This is Ella. And this is, now she's 20, so she's clearly not 20 in this picture. But she was adorable. And, um, you know, it was my first, and I was like, she is just maybe the best kid in the world. And she used to do this, where she would look out our front door with our dog, see the trucks going by and all the things. So um, we lived in Virginia, and one day it snowed, which happens only, it's like twice as much as we get here. So it's like just one more than never. And um, so we have snow, and everybody's excited, and she was like thrilled. She would go outside, and she would want to eat the snow, and we're like, eh. But she thought this was the greatest thing ever. So um, this was our front room, but like our family room was in the back. It was a little further away. And so um, we had friends over. It's night. Snow's on the ground. And, Elle, and we had made it very clear. We could, we could lock that door, but she was now tall enough to where she could unlock the door. So we were like, you don't ever go out in the front yard by yourself. You can't go. I know you want snow, but it's cold. It's dark. You can't go. So she comes running back to the family room where we are with our friends. And we're like, ooh, you look a little chilly. And your mouth is a little wet. And your hands are cold. And so I was like, Ella, did you go outside and eat the snow? And she said, no. <laughs> and I went, well, the door's open. And she went. And I said, and your hands are wet. And she said, I washed them. And I went. <laughs> And so I like take her in the bathroom. I'm like, the sink is dry. And she goes, I dried it. <laughs> and I was like, I have raised a monster. I don't know what is wrong with my parenting, but this is really bad. And so, I was, so we had to sit down. I was like, Ella, you're, I think you're telling a lie and it's going to be okay, but you can't, you can't lie about this. And so she went, yes, I did. So she finally admitted that she did indeed go outside eat the snow, come back in, lie 10 times. And so, um, so her response to her sin and getting called out was that she walked around our family room. You know, she's back with the rest of us and we have our friends over and she walked around like this. Oh. Head down, like not really crying, but almost on the verge. And she felt horrible. So we all felt a little bit horrible for her because she, remember, was super adorable, right? Like, this is the face of a liar, guys. <sighs> I did get her permission to tell this, but that was, that was Ella. So tonight, here's what we're going to talk about. In, in light of looking at Esther chapter 7, we're going to talk about this. How do we respond to sin? And so that's what we're going to, we're going to actually, um, we're going to do a recap of a bunch of things from other lessons and then of what we studied this week. And then um, we're going to talk about four, um, four different responses to sin. So first, we're going to recap, and we're going to do it together. So where are, where are we in this scene? What is going on with um, what has Haman plotted? To kill all the Jews. And then remember, the king had found out some interesting information. What did he remember? that Mordecai had saved his life, and then Mordecai's still not um, 
he's still not bowing to Haman. And so what last week did we realize that Haman, like he's going to speed up the process, right? And what did he decide he's going to do? Yes, he built this pole that's 75 feet tall. Y'all, that's seven stories. That's tall. So he builds this seven-story tall pole that he's going to kill Mordecai on. And then later on, he'll kill all the rest of the Jews. Um, and then Esther, Esther, meanwhile, has found out about the plot to kill the Jews. And she gets really brave. And what does she call the people to do? Fast. So they're fasting with her. She gets resolute and she goes to talk to the king. When she talks to the king, she says, hey, I got to ask you something. And what does she ask for? Let's have a banquet. So they have the banquet. And he says, what do you want? And she says, what? Let's do another banquet. Like, uh, I'm not quite ready for this, right? I don't blame her one bit. So this week we open with the second banquet. And so here's what happens. Mordecai, I've been doing that all week. Haman and the king are in this banquet with Esther. The king once again says, what is it that you want? And now she's feeling brave. And she says, I want you to spare my life and the life of my people. This reveals that she is indeed Jewish for the first time to both Haman and the king. And all of a sudden, Haman, I mean, don't you like, don't you wish you could have seen his reaction? He's like, this is not what I planned. (laughs) The king, what does the king do when he hears? So then she says, the king says, oh my gosh, this is horrendous. Who did this? And she says, that guy, she points to Haman. The king goes outside. He's unhappy. Um, meanwhile, what, what does Haman do in response? He begs. He throws himself at Esther's feet. The king comes in. He's like, great. Now you're trying to accost my wife. And so they put, they, they cover his head. Remember, what does... Um, Harbona is the eunuch. And what does he say, conveniently? Hey, there's a seven-story tall pole in Haman's yard that he was going to use for Mordecai. And the king's like, good plan. And that is the end of Haman. It is a, it is a brutal, fast-paced story that we're looking at. It, it's unbelievable. But here's what I want us to, th- here's how I want us to focus um, for, for tonight. We're going to look at sin, which just means anything we do, heart, heart attitude or action that is opposed to what God wants. So it's not, it's not like rocket science. It's just anything against God's, God's will and God's plan and what he tells us to do. So first up, nope, quick recap, Xerxes. I think Xerxes was unaware. And here's what I mean about that. Who had to sign off on the petition that that Haman, Haman comes before the king and he says, hey, I have a plan. I'll put money in the treasury. We're going to do away with this entire people group. And what does the king say? Good. So is it that he is, is he clueless? Is he just busy? Is he just, is he on his phone? Is he distracted? Like, is he just answering in a way that he has no 
concern for the lives of all these people? Is he callous? I don't know. I mean, clueless for sure. So when he does that, um, I, he's still culpable. He's, he's the dang king, guys. Like nothing happens without his approval. And so while he is appalled and furious at Haman, he thinks this is a terrible thing. He, he never stops to go, gosh, I might've had something to do with this, huh? Maybe I should have, maybe I should have thought through who I gave my signet ring to and what I signed, but he doesn't. And so do you remember way back in the beginning um, of Esther, um, Andrea talked about what um, King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, is, how, I don't know if that's how you say it, but how, what his name sounded like, so his nickname, do you remember what they called him? Anybody? This is a long time ago. King Headache, because his name sounded like headache in Hebrew. But here's the other thing I looked up this week. His name in Hebrew, Ahasuerus, means I will be silent and poor. So that sounds like poor planning if you're going to be a king. <laughs> I would have gone by Xerxes too. But here's the deal. This guy was silent when he should have spoken up. He did not have self-awareness. And look at this. This is from Psalm 139. I love this verse. It's 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And without the Lord, which Xerxes did not believe in the one true God, but without the Lord, it is a little harder to be self-aware. It is harder to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And so not that that's an excuse for him to do horrible things to entire people groups, but there is a sense that he, he was wildly unaware and so as I look at Xerxes, Ahasuerus, I will be silent and unaware, silent and poor. Um, here's the question that I have to ask myself. Am I missing things? Is there sin that I'm a part of or allowing or have I hurt people and I'm just unaware and just moving on with life? Not that we have to have a big cry session and, and feel all, you know, like dig down to things that aren't really there. But I do think we really need to be allowing the Lord to soften our hearts and say, is there something that I need to be aware of? And he promises to, to do that for us. So that was Xerxes' response. The next one is Haman. And this guy, what would you say his response was? What do you think? How did he respond to his sin? He had the most blatant sin in the whole chapter, I think. He doesn't think there's anything wrong. Doesn't think there's anything wrong. Yeah, what else? Prideful. prideful. Yes, very prideful. So because I'm going with a theme here, the un. So Haman is unrepentant. Okay, sorry, I, will, I put these in the wrong order. This verse talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And Haman was pretty upset 
right? Like he throws himself at her feet. He is very upset about the consequence of his action and the result of that's, that's happening in lightning speed. But listen to this verse. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which I think Haman had, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Um, and before you start thinking, God is, okay, God is definitely the author of this story, right? We've seen his hand in all of it. But at the same time, Haman is responsible for his own downfall with his choices that he makes. God allows him to do that. But listen to some of these verses from Psalms. Going back up. The wicked conceive evil. They are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others and then fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. And then this one from Psalm 9:16. The Lord is known for his justice. The wicked are trapped by their own deeds. Mordecai, did it again. Haman, do you know what his name means? Anybody remember? His name means magnificent. And so here's what I think about Haman. I think he believed his own press, right? I think he thought he really was indeed magnificent. And if that's the case, then he deserves to be treated with honor. He deserves Mordecai to treat him the way he wants. He deserves the kingdom to bow to him. And we know that pride is not something the Lord looks kindly on. His pride got the best of him. He went, he went further than he should have. He pushed the king past his limits. So it's interesting, in one commentary I read, no one on the planet would have ever been left alone with a, with a wife or a, a member of the harem of the king. It would have been unheard of. And so because of that, Jewish tradition says more, I mean, so if that's the case, Haman should have left the room immediately. He should never have been there. And he definitely should never been so close to Esther. And so Jewish tradition says that the angel Gabriel probably pushed him into, into Esther. And that's how he ended up in that uh, precarious situation. I don't think that is, I mean, maybe, I don't know. It's not really in our scriptures, but it is an interesting idea because why else would he be there? But here's the irony. What started all of his hatred and his big problem with the Jews is that Mordecai, a Jew, did not bow to him. And now at the end of this story, what is he doing? He is in this total reversal. He is bowing to Queen Esther, begging for his life. Um, so here's my question. Am I repentant? Am I going back and saying, oh, I did wrong. I, I really messed up and I need forgiveness. Or am I digging my heels in like Haman and saying, I deserve this. I probably am magnificent. <laughs> hmm. Esther's response is number three. And her response is a little different because Esther in this 
in this chapter, not that she's perfect, but Esther did not outwardly sin in this scene. And so Esther's response to sin is not about her own sin. It's about the sin of other people around her. Esther's, Esther's response to sin has to deal with um, way back in with Haman's ancestor and Mordecai's ancestor when King Saul was supposed to wipe out all of the Agagites and he let King Agag live. Esther is now having to do what Saul did not do. When Haman gets haughty and rageful, Esther has to deal with his sin. When the people of Israel were unfaithful to God and ended up in exile because of that, Esther did not do any of these things. She just reaps the horrible benefits of them, right? And is so Esther, I think in the face of all these things, Esther is unshaken. She recognizes the sin of all the people around her, her ancestors, the people who have wounded her and mistreated her. And I mean, for goodness sake, she is in a harem, right? Yes, she's a, a queen, but she is mistreated. She is not in a place where she, she has some benefits, but she is not in a place where she is without effect of people's sin. Um, I think her response is remarkably unshaken because she may have kicked and screamed while she was in her three-day fast. She may have shaken her fist at the heavens, but at this point, she's resolute. She says, I know what I have to do. I know the boundaries that I have to draw. She was wise and careful with what she said to the king. I think I probably would, my justice side probably would have gotten the best of me and I'd have been like, listen, buddy, you signed it. You were involved in this too. That would have gotten anybody, no, that would have, that would have been bad. And so she, she's wise, she's calm. She points out the, un, the, the wrong things and she stands her ground, um, but she's resolute. And isn't it true that when sin of, uh, the sin of other people affects us, it is hard to not shake our fist. It's hard to not stamp my feet and say, how dare this happen? This is so unfair. I don't deserve this. It's not right. And yet Esther's example to me says, I can stand my ground and trust what's going on around me. We'll get to this. This will be more in our next point. But she was unshaken. So how am I responding to the sin of people around me? The last response to sin that we're going to talk about is God's response to sin. So God hates sin, right? We know it goes against his nature. It goes against everything. If he's perfect, sin is basically everything that is anti-God. And as a believer, we do not have to cover and ignore it like the king. We don't have to be unrepentant like Haman. Um, and look, at this is amazing to me. Hebrews 14. Oh, did you get that? God is understanding. So this is from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God says that unlike Xerxes, do you remember what happened? Like what was the risk that Esther took to go and speak to him? She had to wait and hope that he would put out his scepter so that she would not be killed when she approached him. And unlike that, we have a God who made the world. And he says, come, you have access to me through Jesus Christ. It is amazing access. Tim Keller This always gives me chills. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that access. We do not wait for a mean, nasty king who is unaware and who doesn't think about our future to, to maybe put out his scepter. We have a God who knows us, who longs for us to be in his presence, who wants us to come, not after 30 days, but whenever we can. So the question is, how do, we, how do I deal with my sin? How do I deal with my sin? Do I believe that I have access to, to the Father, to the throne? Do I believe that Jesus did enough so that I can say my sin has been thrown as far as the east is from the west? Do I believe that, or do I believe that I have to cover and hide and be scared and try to make excuses and blame other people. Can I, can I say, yes, the sin of that person was unfair and horrible and it's changed my life, but God has changed my life more. So back to this little cute face. So Ella is walking around the room like this. And we're just kind of going on with the evening and we kind of keep watching and we're like, what, what do we do? Like she is, she, did we break this child? I don't know. And so my friend goes, Amber, I think she's ashamed. And so I was like, you're right. So I was like, I was like, Ella, come here. I just need you to know you are no longer in trouble. You, we are, we are starting new. I know you went outside. Don't do that again. It's dangerous but you are no longer in trouble. Like we are done with that. You are free to play, have a good time. And she went, okay. And went about her way. Meanwhile, my friend Carrie and I are sitting there like this. We're like, this is a picture of how God forgives us. And so, but for real, I'll never forget that picture because she, she believed what we said. We were like, you are forgiven. And she said, okay, then I don't need this to I don't need this to mark me forever as a liar. She's not. You can, she's not. But there, there is freedom in our forgiveness. There's freedom once we go to the throne room. And I can't wait. Esther is like, don't you want to binge watch? Like, I just feel like, oh, I can't wait till next week. Let's hear what's happening next because it's not over. But at this point, well, sorry, it is over for Haman. <laughs> it's over for him. <laughs> But we still have more, we still have more to go, guys. So let me close this in prayer tonight. God, I thank you for the access that we have in you. Thank you that you give us un, 
unlimited access because of what Jesus did for us, that we don't have to pay our own penalty for sin. We don't have to cover or hide. We have freedom in you. Thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for giving it to us freely. In Jesus' name, amen.